Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. As you open to Psalm 34, if you kind of glance through it, um, you'll notice that it appears to be divided into some nice stanzas, right? These are songs. There's some stanzas here. Not all psalms are divided quite like Psalm 34 is, as we see the spacing there. Uh, in our Bibles, some of the stanzas have three verses and some have four. I know that will bother some of you, but I didn't do it, so don't blame me. All right? um, so as we start uh, Psalm 34, I want to give you a summary here of the psalm. Uh, and here we go. There it is. So Psalm 34 is a psalm calling the worshipers to fear the Lord and to seek after him. And then it also tells us of the, the blessings of God uh, when they do, that come to those who do. And so that's what we'll be uh, getting into today in Psalm 34, looking at the fear of the Lord, seeking after him, and seeing the blessing of that. So Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll read through the psalm. Father God, as we now come to your word and work our way through Psalm 34, please open our minds and hearts that we might learn the fear of the Lord. God, move your spirit within us, giving us the desire to seek after you more and help us to know your many blessings in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Psalm 34, here's what we read. Of David... When he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out, and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. And delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. When the righteous against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. 
And so here in Psalm 34, we start with this heading that many of the Psalms have. This one gives us a little more than many others do. So we see in this heading that is written by David, this is before he was king of Israel. Saul was king at this time when he was writing it. We see this name Abimelech. Now that name is a name or a title for Philistine kings. All right, Philistines were enemies of Israel. Um, This was the name or the title for Philistine kings, Abimelech. It's similar to Pharaoh in Egypt or Caesar in Rome. Okay, so it's a a title or a heading, a name. And so this is what's going on. So in 1 Samuel chapter 21, we read of this account of what was taking place here. Um, Saul was at this time seeking to kill David. So David was fleeing. He fled to the land of the Philistines. All right, and while he was there, David... Uh, became afraid of the Philistine king, all right, because again, he's Israel, they're enemies, right? And so therefore, because he was afraid of this Philistine king, David changed his behavior, right? The language here says he pretended madness, all right? He pretended to be insane, right, so that he wouldn't be harmed. And as a result, the, the king uh, the Philistines and Gath at the time didn't want David around anymore. He didn't want this crazy dude around. So he kicked him out. He sent him away. And David then escaped to, to the caves to hide out um, as his life is being pursued. And so that's kind of a snapshot of the context uh, as we come here to Psalm 34. So as we get into the verses of the, the psalm here, praise, um, we see praise and exaltation of God. Right, verses 1 through 3, praise and exaltation. So verse 1 starts out, I will bless the Lord. Right? I will bless the Lord is to bring humble and enthusiastic worship. Right? We see here in verse 2, his praise shall be in my mouth. Uh, excuse me, that's still verse 1. Verse 2, it will boast. So we see these, this praise and this exalting and this blessing of the Lord. All right? Now recall the context here. David's life is being threatened. Right? It's being sought after to, to kill him, to take his life. And here David is worshiping the Lord, blessing the Lord. Right? Right? So this is some of the immediate context we see of David writing this psalm. There's more reasons given to us as we work our way through the psalm. But notice here in this context, the phrase is in verse 1, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Right? Now it's easy for us to praise God when things are going well, right? When we're experiencing lots of joy and blessing and, and goodness in our lives. But David says his worship is ongoing. It's continual. It's throughout all of the circumstances of life. Right? This is similar to what we read in the New Testament, First Thessalonians five. Starting verse 16 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Our lives are to be filled continually with God's praise and worship of Him. And so, is this true of you? Is this what your life is like? Do you bless the Lord at all times? Is his praise continually in your mouth? Are you constantly speaking of the Lord and his goodness and the blessing and 
praising him? Are you doing it in times of joy and in times of trial? This isn't just momentary bits of worship, right? It's continual. It's not just Sunday morning, but it's ongoing. It's throughout life. It's a lifestyle of worship and praise of God. That's what we should be about. Then in verse 3, we see this word magnify. The word magnify means to make great, right? To make great. Now, David isn't adding to God's greatness, right? So we have to be careful there. He's not contributing to the greatness of God, but he's exclaiming the greatness of God. He's declaring it. He's making it known. And then later in verse 3, we see the word exalt. Exalt, as we said, means to lift high. David's lifting high the name of the Lord. He's proclaiming God's greatness and his infinite worth to all who will hear, right? To all who will come across him. His worship isn't just private, right? You'll notice here. So David's saying, I will do this. I'm going to bless. I'm going to exalt. And then there's this invitation, right? He's inviting the others to come worship with me. God is worthy, right? Magnify the Lord with me. Exalt his name together, right? There's a corporate nat- uh, nature to this. He's bringing other people in. See, the godly person knows that his worship alone isn't sufficient for the greatness of God, right? We need to do this together, right? Our individual worship, although it's good, don't neglect that, but it, it doesn't come close to the worth and the greatness of God. That's why God calls us together every week to worship Right? Every Sunday morning, God calls us to worship together, right? Because God is glorified in that, and our voices uniting together, and our souls uniting together in worship of our God. God deserves it. And so David here desires that others would take note of his praise, and then that he, they would join him, that they would hear, that they would be glad, that they would join together with him in worship corporate worship, lifestyle of worship, continual worship at all times. So this is good for you to have in mind, right? When you are in that worshipful spirit, bring others along. Invite them in with you, right? Ask them, hey, would you like to, would you like to pray together this morning? Right? Can I share this scripture passage that I've been reading that the Lord's been showing me these things out of his word? Can I tell you about how I experienced God today? How did you experience God today? Let's do this together, right? So husbands, do this with your wives, right? Parents, do this with your kids. Grandparents, what a great way to invest in your grandkids, right? Invite them into your spiritual life. Invite them into your worship and your praise of God. If you have a job, take a risk. Do this with your coworkers. Invite them in. You might get rejected. Okay. But maybe some will receive. Invite others in. Bring others into this vibrant, worshipful lifestyle where the Lord is praised and exalted. Next, moving on. Uh, personal experience in corporate worship. So personal experience in corporate worship. So again, psalms are in for the corporate worship for congregational singing, yet David's telling of his experience here, his personal experience. And so David here is teaching from his experience, right? So in song, we instruct. 
we instruct one another in our, in our singing, in what we are singing. And this is what David's doing here. So the phrasing here in verse 4 and in verse 6 are more individual. I, this poor man, he's speaking of himself. Okay? Um, and so even though it's given to the corporate worship, there's these phrases of David's experience. So here's a question for you to think about. Should this be acceptable? Right? Should we have... I statements in our worship. I've heard people say that we shouldn't do that. It's too individualistic. We shouldn't have that in corporate worship. It's too self-focused. Have you read the Psalms? (laughs) They are filled with I statements and my life and here's what I've experienced. And then there's the corporate bringing it together with others, right? This is what the Psalms are filled with. These experiences of I and me and we, what we've done, right? So why is that? Well, because we are individuals, right? We don't want to deny that, but we're also part of a a body, and that's really important. The body of Christ is really important, and yet we have individual experiences. And so God impacts individual lives as well as us corporately as a body. So when we share those things publicly, our individual experiences Right? God uses those to build up his body, to build up his people. And we do that here at Pine Grove, don't we? We sing individual I phrases in corporate worship at times. Right? I surrender all. I will glory in my Redeemer. Right? I will rise when he calls my name. Right? Now, not all of our songs are like this, right? but some are, because there's individual experiences. Right? The key is our motive in that. Right? If, if this relationship with Christ is all about me, 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 that's one thing. Right? But if it's, this is how I have experienced God, right? and we have a right motive, it's good, and it helps the whole body. And so David's experience here is encouragement for God's people. Right? We read this back and forth here in these Uh, verses, right? In verse 4, David gives his personal experience, and then verse 5 is an encouragement for the people. Verse 6 is David's experience, and verse 7 then is an encouragement for the people. So this could be true for us as well, as you sing of what God has done in your life, in your experience with him. It lifts up and encourages the body together. Now look a little more specifically here at verse 4. David says he was delivered from all his fears. Now, consider David. Consider what you know about him. Right? Um, he had fear. He knew what real fear was. Like fear of life. Being pursued. People trying to kill him. He knew what fear was. He was at this time fleeing for his life. Escaping hiding out, right? He was familiar, familiar with an uncertain future, not knowing what tomorrow looks like. He had times of great fear. So how about for you? What do you do in times of fear? What do you do when you get the medical diagnosis from the doctor that it doesn't look too promising? What do you do when you have financial strain in your home? What do you do when you take a stand for Christ at work and you might get fired? 
What do you do when you don't know what tomorrow holds? Well, what did David do here when he had fears? Verse 4, I sought the Lord. That's what David did. He sought the Lord. The implication here is seeking God in prayer, right? Because we see that the result was that God answered. God answered me, he said. So David goes to the Lord in prayer. That's how he, that's what he does with this fear. He sought the Lord in faith by prayer, and the Lord answered. Our God answers prayer. He delivers his people out of and through fearful situations. And then in verse 5, we see this, again, now this corporate encouragement. Those who look to him are radiant. They're radiant. They're shining. They're beaming. Right? In other words, they are full of joy. Right? Those who look to Christ are full of joy, and they're beaming. Right? You can see it on their face. Their faces aren't downcast with shame. They're radiant with joy. God's people have confidence and joy because of their salvation in Jesus Christ, because of the blessing in their lives. They know his blessing. So do you look to the Lord in all things? Do you turn to him first in times of trouble? Do you find joy in him even in the midst of all types of circumstances? Is your joy in the Lord? Those who look to him are radiant with joy. If you're happy and you know it, tell your face. Smile. Be joyful. Let that joy flow forth that others might see it. Then in verse 6, David comes back to here's my experience again, right? This poor man. He's talking about himself. This poor man, right? Now, many times in Scripture we read the word poor, and it's not talking about wealth, about money, having money or not having money. It's talking about humility, right? Being poor in spirit, right? David here, he's being afflicted. He's in need. This is what he means by I'm, uh, this poor man the affliction that comes, the need that is there, being humbled by life circumstances. This poor man, he said, David is in a position of humility brought upon him. And what does he do? He cried out to the Lord. Right? He cried out. The word cried means to call out. David called out to the Lord, the one who could save him. Right? He didn't just mope. He didn't whine and fuss. He did something. He called out to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord for help. Right? And what was the result of David calling out to the Lord in prayer? Well, we see first here, the Lord heard him. Right? That's the first thing. The Lord heard him, paid attention to him. The Lord hears the prayers of his people. And second, the Lord saved him. The Lord saved him out of all his troubles. Now, don't take that to mean that the troubles were immediately removed. Okay? They weren't immediately removed. David went through this for some time, his life being sought, right? But the Lord saved him out of the trouble, or the Lord saved him through the trouble. Right? What do I mean by that? Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. 
right? Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, God says, I will be with you. Okay? So you're walking through the valley. You're passing through the troubled waters, but the Lord is with you, saving you in and through and eventually out of that trouble. It's not an immediate plucking out of the circumstance, but it's God being with you, walking with you, carrying you through, saving you through, and in the midst of that trial and that difficulty. So here, David's experience, this experience of one person, is shared and given as an encouragement to all. And we need that, don't we? We need that in our lives. Don't we need to hear of God's faithfulness in the lives of others? Isn't that an encouragement? Doesn't that build you up and give you some confidence in faith as well? We need that. So don't be afraid to share what God is doing in your life with other people. Don't be afraid to ask other people, hey, how, how is God working in your life? Share with me. Help me. Help me to see that experience in your life as well as my own. So then in verse 7, we come back to the corporate encouragement here. And he starts by the angel of the Lord. Now, we read of the angel of the Lord in different places throughout the Old Testament. Right? So who is that? Well, very possibly it's the pre-incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. Right? Before he came to earth as a man, right? It could be a different special messenger of God, but most, most believe that it's this second person, the Trinity, God himself showing up, right? But here's what we know. We know of God's presence and his special care for his people, right? That's what we see here. The angel of the Lord encamps around, right? Surrounding, protecting, settling down around his people, providing Divine protection. That's what we see happening here. The angel of the Lord encamps around. And who is this divine protection for? Those who fear the Lord. Right? Those who fear the Lord. And we see the fear of the Lord multiple times through Psalm 34. Right? So those who fear him are those who come to God in humility, right? acknowledging his holiness and his greatness and his worth in all things. Coming to him Humbly, right? These are the people that God surrounds with his divine protection, watching over them. And again here in verse 7, we read that he delivers them. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. He carries them through the trouble, through the, the fear, through the circumstance. Again, these are things that David knew and he experienced. And now he's sharing them. David knew that God would do this in the lives of all of his people as well. The Lord guards and delivers from every foe and out of every trouble. That's who our God is. He watches over you, his people. Next we see that the Lord is good. Verse 8, the Lord is good. Verse 8 now turns to our, our senses. Right? Taste. Our senses are how we experience things in, in life, right? We taste the sweetness of honey or maple syrup, right? In the spring, we smell the blooming crabapple trees or the lilacs, right? We hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. We see, we touch, 
right? So taste, taste and see, experience God and all of his goodness. That's what David is saying here, taste and see the goodness of God, experience him in your life. Now, how many of you want to know God? One, okay. How many of you want to know God more? (laughs) Okay. Well, let me tell you something that you might not want to hear. If you want to know God, it takes action on your part. You have to do something. You have to put in effort. That's the nature of relationships, right? You want a relationship with God? You want to know him? You have to do something. You have to pursue him. You have to put effort into it. So we see here the Lord is good, and you will find that out as you pursue after him. So the Lord is good. It's a truth to believe. This is fact. The Lord is good, whether you experience it or not, whether you know it or not. The Lord is good. That is a truth to believe. But for God's people, for believers in Christ, it's also an experience that we engage in, that we have with God. So if you're not seeing the goodness of the Lord, it might be because you're lacking in your pursuit after him. Right? You can't just sit back, arms folded, and a frown on your face and say, I don't know God's goodness. I'm not experiencing it. He's not blessing me like I want him to. Quit your whining and complaining and seek after him. Do something. Move toward him. Right? We see this here in just these three verses here in 8 through 10. We see taste. This is an action word, right? Taste. Take refuge in him. Fear him. Seek him. These are action words. Don't be spiritually lazy. Right? If you want to know the goodness of God, pursue after him. You won't know that unless you do. Yes, God comes after you, right? But you have to go after, come after him. You draw near to him and he draws near to you, right? That's how relationship works. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 45, we read this parable. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So we see here that this merchant was seeking, right? First of all, the merchant was seeking, seeking out this pearl of great value. He found it, and then he gave all of himself, everything he had, to get it. Right? So the question is, is that how you are seeking the Lord? Do you pursue him like that? The godly pursue the Lord and are satisfied. He provides for their needs. Everything you truly need will be provided by the Lord. And then in verse 10, we read of this young lion, right? Even this capable predator has need and gets hungry. Not so those who seek the Lord. You see that? Not so. There's no lack Right? If you are constantly seeking after the Lord, pursuing after him, tasting and seeing and knowing him, you won't have lack. He will provide for you. You will know his 
presence. Everything you truly need is in Him. Do you recognize this? Do you acknowledge it? Do you live as if it's true? Or do you walk out the doors every Sunday morning wanting something else? Pursuing lesser things. Grabbing onto those idols and saying, that's what I want. I'll give my time and energy to that rather than seeking the Lord to know him. The Lord is good and he does all things well. And you find that out, you experience that more and more as you taste, as you pursue after him. Next we read of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So come, listen, hear it, ponder it. Right? Do you want to know how to have an abundant life in the Lord? Well, you're going to be taught right here. Right? So listen up. Pay attention is what they would say. There's wisdom coming. Right? The fear of the Lord is taught, and then it must be implemented. It must be practiced. It must be put into place. So listen, I will teach you. Right? And then verse uh, 12, excuse me, we have this rhetorical question. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? In other words, why wouldn't you want this? Isn't this something you would want to know God, to know the fear of the Lord, so that you might know him and receive all these blessings that are given here? And then he teaches. Here it is in verse 13. Here's the teaching. You want to know the fear of the Lord? Here it is. He starts out verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. So let's start there, he says, right? The tongue is the outpouring of all kinds of evil. Lying, deceit, gossip, boasting, flattery, blaspheming. And the list goes on and on. What does James tell us? James chapter 3, verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. That's what you have right there in your mouth. A world of unrighteousness. Are you keeping your tongue from evil? How is the language in your life? How is it in your home with the people you live with? How is it at work? How is it when you're hanging out with your friends? How is it when you're talking about other people? So that's first, uh, the language. And then continuing to teach the fear of the Lord here. Verse 14, turn away from evil and do good. So in other words, live in purity and holiness. Right? Get rid of the sin in your life. Repent of it. Turn from it. Right? These things are opposite. Evil and good, they're opposites. Right? It's not just turn away from one, you notice. It's not just get rid of one. That's part of it. But then go after the other. Right? Do good. Go after it. So there's a living in purity and holiness as part of the fear of the Lord. So our tongue, we're going to pay attention to. We're going to turn away from evil and do good. And then seek peace and pursue it. That's hard work, 
right? In our relationships with others, that takes laying aside your pride, setting aside your evil desires, takes kindness, bearing with one another, forgiveness, gentleness, patience, all these things, a whole lot more, right? So here's the fear of the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. If you can can, um, manage that in your life, you're in good shape, right? You're doing pretty well. But you need God. You need his spirit working within you or you're not going to accomplish it. You need to pursue it. You need to go after it. Now understand verses 13 and 14 here are not working for salvation, but it's the outpouring of faith in the life of one who is saved. Faith changes you. It causes these things within you. But you have to go after it. You have to put in your effort. You have to do your part. This is the fear of the Lord. Do you fear the Lord in this way? Do your, does your life, not fear emotionally, but does your life, is your life committed to this fear of the Lord? If we were to kind of sum up what is the fear of the Lord, we could turn it, we could sum it up by saying uh, something like this. Um, the fear of the Lord is, is summed up in humble submission to God's ways. Right? It's in knowing who God is, knowing what he has commanded, and then living that out, living accordingly. That's the fear of the Lord. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? A lot harder to do. That sin nature within us, those evil desires within us, the temptations that we have, as we talked about before, we have a tempter. Fear the Lord, you his saints. We continue then throughout to see the blessing of the Lord. Uh, the blessing of the righteous. Now recall in the Psalms, we see the righteous and the wicked through all the Psalms, right? Righteous are the people of faith, united to Christ, relating to him in right relationship. And then the wicked, the unsaved, the evildoers, those opposed to God and apart from Christ. Okay? So in verse 15 then, we see this. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. God's eyes and ears are attentive to his people. He is present in times of trouble. He is near, and he's working for you. So you need not be overcome by fear and by worry and by anxiousness. God is near, and he is working for you. The Lord is watching over you for your good. And he is faithful. Doesn't mean that things will always be easy. Doesn't mean that hard times won't come. But God is with you. He is attentive to you. He, his eyes and ears are toward you. And then in verse 16, we read of the face of the Lord. Right? The face of the Lord. Now, the face of God represents his presence and his attention. This is what it was meant by the face of of the Lord, by the face of God, right? He's present, he's attentive. When my kids were young and I needed their undivided attention, I would grab their bottom jaw 
and turn their face toward me. They loved it. Ask them later. Right? Grab right, right back here, parents. This is free parenting advice. Right behind the jaw here. And just turn their face towards you, right? Then I have their attention. I have the, they're present with me. They're not looking off all over, right? I have their face. I have their presence with me. If you have God's face, you have his presence and his attentiveness towards you. Psalm 11, verse 7 says, The upright shall behold his face. They shall have his presence. Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. Psalm 27, 8. You've said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. I seek your presence. I seek your attention. I'm with you. There's good in seeking the face of God and in seeking his presence. You'll notice here in verse 16, that's not, that's not it. This is the negative side of that, right? This is the negative side of God's face. God is present against the wicked evildoers. His presence and attention is against them. Oh, the dread of having the almighty, all-powerful God against you. But this is also mercy to God's people, Right? that God is against the wicked evildoers. It's a mercy towards us who believe in Christ. Then in verse 17, we see things very similar to verse 6. So verse 6 was David's experience. Poor man cried, the Lord heard him, saved him out of all his troubles. Now verse 17, when the righteous, corporately, when, when you all cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Right? And so in verse 17, now this is true of God's people, all of God's people, not only David. The Lord hears them and delivers them. And then verse 18, he's near, right? The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. He's near to those humbled by life's circumstances. He's near to those who have no hope in themselves, who don't know where to turn anywhere else except but to him. Right? This is when there are external forces beyond your control that are just crushing your spirit, breaking your heart. Have you been there? Do you know what it's like? Know many of you have been. Right? Christ entered into our suffering. He knows what it's like, and he is near to comfort and to rescue through that trial. So look here in these verses of things that are true for the righteous, right? The Lord looks favorably upon them in verse 15. The Lord hears them in verse 17. The Lord delivers them in verse 17. The Lord is near them in verse 18. The Lord saves them, verse 18. What a blessed position we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Such blessing in Christ. Next, we'll see the salvation in Christ. Salvation in Christ. Verse 19, the righteous still have afflictions, right? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. They have harm that comes to them. They have sorrows. They have miseries and evils done to them. But again, we see the Lord delivering them, right? Delivering them. Then verse 20, he keeps all his Bones. This is righteous. Keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. This is signifying the whole body, a sense of 
overall protection, right? All-encompassing protection for the righteous. Now, this should spark a, spark a thought because ultimately these verses tell us of Christ, right? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, the Roman soldiers came and broke the legs of the criminals that were a criminal on either side of him, right? But they didn't do that with Jesus. They passed him by. And then John 19.36 says this, For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. So do these verses speak to God's people? Yes, but they also speak to Jesus on the cross, the one who came to save. And then we see this stark contrast between the righteous and the wicked, right? Between the saved and the unsaved. We see this throughout Psalms, but we see it here. Right, verse 21, the wicked will be condemned. He'll be condemned. This is the terrible consequence of unforgiven sin. Condemnation. This is the end for all of those apart from Christ. They will be found guilty for their sin, and they will suffer eternal punishment under God's wrath. But... The Lord redeems his people. He preserves them. He rescues them out of that condemnation. He delivers them into eternal blessing. Now this comes through Jesus Christ alone. Jesus saves now and forever those who are his. There is no condemnation. Why? Because Jesus took it. He took it. Your condemnation was given to Jesus at the cross. His blood was poured out for you when he died in your place. He paid the price to remove all of your condemnation. If you are in Christ by faith, you are now alive and free and eternal blessing is yours. Right? Now go back to verses 1 through 3. Is that not reason to bless the Lord at all times? Is that not reason to have his praise continually on your lips, to invite others to magnify the Lord, to lift his name on high along with you? Your condemnation is gone, it's removed, and you have eternal blessing. Right? That should be, that's the radiance of joy that should be on our faces as God's people. Now today, if you are without faith, if you are apart from Christ, your sin keeps you from God. And it holds you under his condemnation. Your need is one of repentance. Turn from your sin and place your faith and your trust and your hope in the person of Jesus Christ for your salvation. He died on the cross for your forgiveness of sin. He was raised to life that you might not experience ultimate death, that you might have true life. Won't you surrender yourself to him? Now, maybe some others of you here today have been close to the Lord in the past, but lately you've distanced yourself. Maybe you've neglected prayer and Bible reading. Maybe you've allowed yourself to get caught up in the things of this world, taking you away from God. Maybe you've even been running away from God and have yourself entangled in sin. God is calling you back to himself. He's waiting for you with open arms. Come to him. Come taste again 
and see the goodness of God. Return to God. Repent of your sin. Be restored. Fear the Lord and seek after him. That's what God is calling you to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, again, we come to you seeking after you. We want to know you more, and yet we are spiritually lazy. God, forgive us for this. Uplift us and encourage us to seek after you, to bless your name, to praise you, and to truly know you, God. Help us to live in the fear of the Lord, to live rightly before you in our speech, in our actions, and in our relationships with others. God, we are weak, so help us, strengthen us for these things, that we might know you more, that your name might be lifted on high, that you might receive the glory that you are due. In Jesus' name, amen.